Hello, everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weave from Sportsnet. Together we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie post-game show following a bit of an interesting game against the Washington Capitals. I'm not quite sure how I feel about that game at this moment, but that's the beauty of these post-game shows is we can kind of talk through our feelings, see how we feel about this. I know some people in the chat seem to be okay with what happened here tonight. Alistair Clark says, glad they got the point. It was a close-fought battle. Phyllis says, hey, everyone just popping over from IC. Thanks for coming over. And, uh, and anyone here who hadn't been checking out the IC show, make sure you always go check them out before you come and you see us. But yeah, they get the one out of two points against the Caps. It's okay. Would rather have gotten the win, of course, but it is what it is. So with, I think there's going to be a lot of people in the chat who are okay with what we saw here tonight. I'm kind of, again, I don't know how I feel. You know what What helps me, though, understand how I feel these things is talking to my main man, Kenny Weeb, and that's just an excuse to play his entry music, which, as we know, is the best in the business. Let's get him in here, everyone. Here comes Kenny. The one thing no one in the chat room gets to see when we play that song is Kenny plays a mean air guitar to it every single time. It looks great. Kenny, great to see you, my friend. Again, it feels like it isn't uh, like it's been so long and it has been, but it's nice. We're going to start getting into the routine of things here. By the end of this, I think we're going to be a little bit busy by all this time is done. And I think both of you and I are saying, bring it on. We've had enough time laying off. This Christmas break has gone on far too long for my liking. I'm sure it has for yours as well. Well, but great to see you, Ken. Uh, give, me, give me your first thoughts on that game because it was an interesting one. Yeah, for sure, Sean. Great to be with you. Great to see you. And uh, great great selection of T-shirt, by the way. Uh, you totally yeah. surprised me with that. And I didn't even notice when we did our little uh, microphone test. So uh, there good, we job. Go. Good, good job by you there for sure. It's a uh, beauty. That, it's a beauty. That, that's nicely done. Uh, in terms of the game, it, it is interesting. I mean, uh, I think you could make the argument on both sides of the coin. Uh, I mean, Pierre-Luc Dubois saying outright that it is feels like a point lost in some ways. Yes, they were able to rally. Uh, but, I mean, Dave Lowry didn't agree. He felt like it was a point gained against a team that's, you know, one of the better teams in the East. Uh, we know they're one of the better home teams in the East, generally speaking. Now, we also understand, you know, we always talk about urgency, Sean. The Capitals had one win in their last six games, right? But they had points in three of six. So uh, the Jets now have points in five of six. So if we're looking at the bigger picture, you know, starting with a point in a series in a in a in a road trip that is opening up one of the busiest and toughest stretches for the Winnipeg Jets, I would counter with the entire season. <laughs> I can. <laughs> James, I'm happy to tell you the answer. I don't have a Sean's headband t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> we'll Sean, get you one. We'll yeah, get you yeah, one. Yeah, it, we're going to start an internet meme. L look at someone or find someone that looks at you the way Sean Reynolds looks at Ken Weeb. Because I just adore you, buddy. And this is, <laughs> this is uh, what, what James really knows is that this is Sean's rebuttal for him thinking that I threw him under the bus in the Kevin Bieksa episode. <laughs> I wouldn't be sucking up to you. I'd be like, I'd be wearing this with like an X through it or something like that. No, it's a good shirt. I'm just, shirt. it is a great shirt. And we do have, that's a great tease by you. We've got some other great news, but we're not yeah. quite ready to be in the sharing stages. But we know that Kenny and Rennie fans are going to be absolutely thrilled with the, with the news. Uh, in yes. terms of the game itself, super interesting. Uh, Jets had, you know, you asked about it. It was an incredible start for a team that had been off for another Almost an entire week, six-day break again. Uh, they're up 2 nothing, uh, you know, 2.20 into the hockey game. Uh, but again, the, it, so interesting. Another one of those games where the Jets had opportunities to get it to 3 nothing, 
you know, a couple bad breaks, a couple posts. I mean, the, the Shifley chance, just an, he's tied up and he makes an incredible play to get the redirection. It goes off both posts uh, and doesn't go in. And, you know, next thing you know, the Jets kind of get caught in uh, an interesting no man's land type of scenario. And Alex Ovechkin makes it a 2 1 game. Mm-hmm. In a game where the Jets had, you know, a really good start, and that, that kind of it took some of the momentum away. Uh, I mean, the Jets did have uh, posts; they had two for sure, Tracy uh, Okranik. But Kuznetsov also had a shot off the post, so it's not like it was just a, a tilted game. Um, the Capitals showed some really good pushback after that. But at the same time, Sean, I mean, after the Jets went down three to two, that looked like it could have been a really deflating goal. But they find a way to get even and get the game to extra time. Now. That that's a huge goal for Dubois. You know, great job by Pionk to set up the one timer. But for Adam Lowry, Adam Lowry had one assist in his last eleven games. I'm sure there were folks at home saying, "Oh, why is Lowry out there?" Well, he's out there to be a net front presence. And what does he do? He gets the puck over to Dubois for the tying goal. So uh, that's a big extra attacker goal. Anytime you rally against a playoff team to get it into overtime, I would say it's an important point. But I mean, at the same time, given the scenario where the Jets are at right now, Sean, they're looking up at some teams. Yeah, uh, they they got to. If you can get a two goal lead, you want to try to break steer that thing home. So uh, interesting on a lot of levels. I know you know. I'll turn it over to you before we get to the overtime goal here. But overall, I would say the Jets played pretty well in this game. But at the same time, I think they're probably on the plane thinking, you know, apart, at least some of the players are thinking that that's a game that they had to have if they want to get themselves over the playoff line instead of, you know, hovering around the playoff line is what I would say. Yeah, you know what? I I, I said it before you hopped on. I still don't know how I feel about this game. Maybe right. I'll have kind of like formulated exactly how I feel by the time we talk this through <laughs> over the hour. But my early gut instinct is I'm not, I don't have a problem with this. I think they come out and they get that hot start, which is exactly what you're hoping for. And not easy to do for a team that hasn't been playing hockey, that's only been practicing. You know, one side will say, hey, they've had all this rest. Of course, they're going to be able to come out. But I, I think that only works if you prepare for it the right way. I think what we've seen in the last game they played against Detroit, this game against the Capitals, Dave Lowry did a bang up job of preparing this team to come out the right way. Now he'll give the credit to the leadership group, uh, which he has, you know, throughout the week. And Pierre-Luc Dubois, I thought was interesting. I asked him about that hot start and I was wondering if he'd say much about Dave Lowry and he kind of put it with the players too, just about how much they love playing hockey and how much, how happy they were to be back. But I mean, they have a chance in that game because of the first two minutes of that game. Now, I'm not saying they didn't play poorly or that they played poorly after that. I think they played really well, but I think what we saw is what you can expect from a team that hasn't been playing a lot. You know, you get into a 60-minute game. I know they had 60-minute practices where they pushed, but a game pace is different. So they got the hot start, but I think that you can fully expect what we saw from them is little patches of the game where they get a little bit dozy and go to sleep and make some mistakes we know that the capitals are a team that kind of capitalizes on that this to me is all built into the kind of game you can expect from the jets they'll work this stuff out as they go on as they get back into game pace and then they're going to get into kenny having to worry more about exhaustion rather than having too much energy but trying to get back up to game speed but uh, the, the fact that they kept things close the fact that they didn't let it get out of hand i think of the carl Hagelin breakaway and and uh, Connor Hellebuck coming up at the right time and making that save, keeping that game close, giving themselves a shot, and then going at the end and tying it up, getting that point. To me, this is a point earned game. This could have been the kind of game where you saw the Capitals get ahead of it and you think, geez, we haven't been back. It's our first one back. It's going to take some time to get our game legs back underneath us. This to me is definitely a point earned. I'm okay with how this goes because I think it will bode well for them in the coming games throughout the rest of this week. Yeah, agreed. And and what I would say, Sean, too, I mean, the Jets, you know, could did they let up a bit? I mean, you know, wraparound goal. I mean, that's not really a bad play. I mean, it was, a, you know, I think that Hellebuck kind of overcommitted, but in a lot of ways, the Caps player kind of still, the reason why he overcommitted is because he hit the right pad of Hellebuck, right? So he didn't really have a chance. At first, I thought maybe it wasn't a great reset, but when I went back and looked at it, I mean, Hellebuck was not going to be able to come back into the net because 
of the contact that was made. And then it's just bad luck that it goes off of Schmidt's skate and then hits the one off Hellebuck. Right. Uh, I mean, and the other one is a, it, the point shot by Orloff is it goes off for surely goes off Pagansky's stick. And I think it also hits someone else uh, on the way in. So I don't think it was goalie interference. I know some people are, are looking at it. I mean, how can it be interference? I mean, his right leg is outside of the crease when the contact is made. And I would even say, I mean, we've talked about it a lot, Sean, about Dubois, how there's been accidental contact. I think that Hellebuck actually initiates the contact on that play, don't you? Yeah, agreed. So, yeah, I, mean, I, 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 I don't see that. it as goalie interference at all. I mean, yes, there was contact, but I think that it was because Hellebuck initiated the contact in some ways. It's just a bad luck goal. Uh, but I agree with you. I mean, the fact that they came back and got a point out of the deal, I would say that's the Jets played well. And I don't think that the Jets really even sat back. What I would say, I know a lot of people going nuts on social media. I think that the communication was not there on the Ovechkin goal. It was a really nice play on the give and go element. But I think that what people don't, in slow motion, everything looks bad, of course. But I think what happened, Logan Stanley gets caught in no man's land because he's not sure that Nate Schmidt is going to get back in time. And by the time Schmidt gets back to kind of attack the puck carrier, yes, he does lose Alex Ovechkin on that scenario but i think he thinks he needs to be in between both and then all of a sudden schmidt is in the in the frame but then he's it's a little bit too late to get over but you know having said that i, I don't think that logan hanley had a logan stanley had a particularly strong game i think no. that there were some moments where uh, i mean again he's also coming back from covid we don't know how serious severe his symptoms were i mean uh, i thought there was a couple times his reads were a little bit off yes he made a nice stretch pass on the first goal but uh, he got beat one-on-one -on -one by Nick Dowd on one of those plays along the boards. Um, but, you know, and his ice time was higher. You know, he was back on the penalty kill, which is which is regularly a uh, regular scenario for him. Uh, Dylan Sandberg, I thought, was steady. Uh, he didn't stand out as much to me as maybe in the debut, but he didn't play as much. So no. uh, I thought Sandberg was steady. Um, Stanley's going to need to elevate his game, Sean. I mean, this is one thing that stood out for us in the conversations with Dave Lowry so far. Um he said it doesn't matter what your status is on the team. If, if you play better, you're going to play. So um, to me, that means Logan Stanley, he can't spend time worrying about looking over his shoulder, but what he needs to do is elevate his game because there are other players in that battle for ice time and competition that are elevating their game right now. So uh, to me, I mean, uh, again, not every game is a, is a referendum on whether a guy's ready or what, whether he needs 20 minutes, but uh, Stanley needs to elevate his game. That that's that's accurate. And there are other guys who are trying to elevate their games and have done so. You know, you touched on a whole bunch of things there. One of the things I wanted to talk about, uh, and we're going to get to a bunch of all that. Yeah. But one of the things that I think is really interesting about that, and let's bring in, let's talk about Stanley. You talked about Sandberg. Let's bring in Hanela into this. Let's bring in Perfetti, Pagansky, all the guys who've been playing here uh, and, and what they've been doing. Reichel, we can bring all these guys into it. Dave Lowry talked to us and you touched on it about his idea of like, you know, if you show that you capitalize on your opportunities, you're going to get some playing time here. Dave Lowry's theory or not theory his strategy on this it's going to get put to the test and and it's going to get put to the test it looks like by Cole Perfetti because Cole Perfetti I thought looked phenomenal on that second line he seems to have found a way now that like you know three games into this three games I think Ken three or four I think it's just that was his third game tonight with that line yes fifth game I overall. mean I mean, it feels like forever because they've been practicing, you know, together on the ice for such a long time. They seem to be like a unit that we're entirely used to. But they know where each other are on the ice at all times now, it looks like to me. And it's just, I, I've, I'm so impressed by it. He gets his first NHL goal. Congratulations to Cole Perfetti on that. Absolutely phenomenal. But this is going to get into that territory. If they keep playing the way they play on a night where Kyle Connor gets a goal, Cole Perfetti gets a goal, Pierre-Luc Dubois gets a goal, and all those guys get a bunch of chances, a bunch of chances where they're yeah. finding each other. Um, this is going to be in one of those situations where when Blake Wheeler comes back and where when Paul Stassen comes back, and if they do get, you know, depending on what's going to happen with Nick Ehlers and how long he's out, you know he's out at least one game, we'll get into that as well. But if the Jets do get to a place where everyone's healthy, there's going to have to be some decisions made. And Dave Lowry's 
strategy of you know making sure that the guys who earn ice time keep that ice time is going to be put to the test because there will be pressure from veterans potentially for Cole Perfetti to be moved off that line. And right now, the way that they're playing, he probably shouldn't be moved off that line. That was the best line tonight. It was the most active line. They were the most dangerous line. They had a ton of chances. They all scored on on this night. You know, they're all feeling it with each other. That's a line that you can't be pulling apart. Well, I mean, Cole Perfetti, first kudos to him for his ability to adapt on the fly. This is something that we've seen at every single level he's played at. We saw it last year. It took him some time to find his feet under him, and then he really elevated. The fact that it only took him four or five games to adapt to the NHL level, and to be honest, it's just this three-game block, right? I mean, early in the year, it's that's nerves, and it's your first NHL game and all that stuff. And then by the second game, he was already bumped to the fourth line, so... I mean, the fact that he spent the majority of these last three games, or at least part of it, the, the two games for sure, in the top six is important, Sean. But what I would quickly remind you is that you were saying the exact same things about Yevgeny Svechnikov, but he did right. get bumped off the line. So right. uh, I, I, what I would say is that Perfetti has done an excellent job in carving out extra ice time and a role for himself. Um, I think it's important. He can stay there. But what I would like to also remind folks on a night where Dubois played 21 minutes, Cole Perfetti took 13 shifts for 13.04. So, yes, he's done an excellent job at 5-on-5 five five with those guys, but I would counter that I don't think that Cole Perfetti is ready for 20 minutes a night, which is what a top six player would play. Now, a lot of the disparity in ice time is because of the power play and the fact that that top unit you know, had scored early and then took a couple of two-minute shifts. So that would make up for some of the ice time because Perfetti has, I think, like four sec, five seconds of power play time. So mm-hmm. that's part of it. But uh, I do think it's important that he stays there initially for sure. And now, again, let's get into Ehlers right away. And Ehlers being out for at least, for multiple games would suggest that that allows you to keep Perfetti there at least out of the gate and let him continue to see if he can continue to, to do what he's been doing. I mean, I think he's done an excellent job. I'm not ready to say he's ready for 20 minutes at the NHL level yet because those are hard minutes on a 20-year-old who is undersized in a lot of ways. But the way he processes information, Sean, we talk about this almost every single time, his ability, he's finding guys in tight. He's getting open in tight. And the thing that you touched on, and I mean, we saw it in the way Pierre-Luc Dubois spoke about him, his ability to not over-pursue. If you're an NHL or you're playing in your fifth NHL game, you're on a two-on-one, it is so easy to go too far ahead of yourself and get into a position where Dubois can't even find you for that pass. He -hmm. showed incredible patience, A, to open up for the shot, B, to not over-pursue or get too tight to the crease, and then too, like the pure joy from Perfetti and how he explained everything. I blacked out. I, do, I don't know where I even scored. Uh, classic, like when he said, going to the bench and basically looking at Dubois and saying, oh my God, I just scored my first NHL goal. Like that, that's just incredible stuff right there, Sean. But in terms of what he's been able to do, he has not been a liability defensively. He's doing a nice job in ter- terms of board battles. And Sean, I think one of the more impressive things is he's doing it basically playing out of position. Like the position he would be least comfortable with probably is right wing. But because of his ability to think the game, he hasn't looked out of place on the right side at all. So, uh, you know, incredible job by Perfetti. And it's important for him to continue to play well. I think he's done an excellent job. And he's going to continue to play as well as possible. But what he does is he stretches out the lineup. No matter where you put him, he stretches Mm -hmm. out your lineup. Now, it's a lot easier for Stastny or um, Wheeler to come back into the lineup because Ehlers is going to be out uh, initially. But it's important to keep these guys going. And when there is chemistry, like you said, I would say... Do leave them together. I think, you know, if you're bringing back guys, like put Lowry with Stastny and Wheeler or put Lowry with Svechnikov and Stastny or Wheeler, whatever way you want to do it. You can stretch out the depth on your lines by keeping Perfetti in the top six for now. And again, Perfetti is going to show us over the length of time whether or not he's ready to stay in that position, right? So I give him credit for what he's been able to do. I think that Perfetti will continue to get better because of all the things that we talk about. But I just think that it's like, same thing I said about Svechnikov. 
it's early in the process to just be saying stick with that line for the rest of the year. Though I do contend, and I agree with you, Sean, they are showing some remarkable chemistry. And man, that line could have had four or five tonight quite easily, given the looks they were able to generate. Well, clearly it depends on what happens going forward. But I, I did want to say this in comparison to the other guys. So you talked about Sandberg. Sandberg, I thought, you know, looked phenomenal in his debut. Um, and yeah, he, he looked he looked good tonight. Clearly had a lot less time. Um, but the one thing, and I've remembered this time and time again, because I remember when I was first uh, in the game, you know, like a, a young fan. Uh, and I always think of um, Lonnie Bahanas. Remember Lonnie Bahanas? Of course, yeah. He of course, went, he, had a great, you know, he played for the Moose. He's a Winnipeg guy. Yeah. Uh, and he went on this great run with the Leafs, but with the, the run lasted about, five, you know, he had a great hockey night in Canada game, but that stretch lasted like fewer than 10 games, did it exactly. not? Exactly. But it was an amazing run. Of and course, I remember yes. I remember being, you know, one, because like I'm a proud Manitoban, so every time yeah. you know, a Manitoba boy comes up, you're rooting for him, you're pulling from him. Give him a chance, right? I remember just being so, so, so sold on Lonnie Bahanas. Who was he on a line with? Was it Thomas and Sundin? Is that who he was on a line Honestly, with? I don't remember, but I think it, it would make I a believe, lot of sense given I believe given that's what it was. And he just he just took off. And he was phenomenal. And I remember being like, geez, this guy did this. How can he do this? And then, you know, I, I got and I talk, started talking to some players. And they are like, listen, everyone, you know, every prospect can look good coming in for one game with their eyes this wide open, all the energy they've had. You can focus on one game and throw everything you have at it and look really good. But now you got to do it again two nights later and three nights after that. And you got to do it in practice, in the days in between. And you got to keep going and going and going. The thing that makes pros pros and especially the best pros, the best pros is consistency, right? So that's what we need to see. So, you know, I had a whole bunch of people tell me, and there's some people in the chat room, and I'm not saying that he's not there. We'll see what he does more and more often. But Sandberg looked good in his first NHL game and got his first NHL point. You can't just take a look at that game and say, boom, he's proved it in that amount of ice time. He's an NHL player. He's ready to go, right? So we saw him not take a step backwards tonight, but I don't think I agree with you. He wasn't as eye-popping. Pagansky, you know, he goes out, he does that really nice drive to the net. But other than that, I thought, you know, some of the younger players didn't show as well tonight. I thought the bottom six was definitely a little MIA on the night here tonight. Um, but the one thing that I've seen, the whole point of this is to get to Cole Perfetti. When I watch Cole Perfetti, he's a guy I think that, you know, he's a cerebral player and he seems to be figuring out the game more and more and more and getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Now, again, to make my point, this is just three games, right? What happens after 17 games? What happens after 25 games, 40 games? We have to see that, right? So I listen, I'm not saying you cannot take him off that line because he had a couple of good games here. But if he keeps progressing the way he's going and continues playing how he's playing and everyone gets back and that line is still playing like that, I think if you're Dave Lowry, you've put out there how you feel and how you are going to handle young players with opportunity. If this continues like it is, I don't think you can take Cole, Cole Perfetti off that line because then you're going back to the message that you and I both talked about when this coaching change was made and we thought job one for Dave Lowry was to show people that the players that are going and the players that are playing their best are going to be rewarded and right now I wouldn't I you know if, if what we saw here tonight from that line continues going forward never minds if it builds which is very possible for that to happen I don't think you can bust that up without sending the message that certain players are not going to be touched on this lineup they're going to get their opportunities regardless and your opportunity will exist only when they aren't there to take that opportunity and like dave lowry had said it sounds like he's trying to root that out and i think the the coal perfetti for me if they continue doing what they're doing is really the canary in the coal mine when it comes to that that approach right so the big thing for cole perfetti which also applied when the same thing happened with Yevgeny Svechnikov, right? He wasn't producing a ton of offense, right? He was fitting yeah. in very well on that line, but he was at four or five points. So Cole Perfetti in his first four NHL games had zero points. So what we always talk about, you have to produce in the top six if you want to stay there. What did Cole Perfetti do today? He produced offense, which is what he needs to do in order to continue to get that kind of an opportunity and audition. 
Right now, Sean, Cole Perfetti is making the Winnipeg Jets a better hockey team. So he Kurt deserves agreed. to be playing playing in a role that where he can, can, can succeed in. You know, sometimes that's going to mean playing in the top six. I think as we move on and progress, it's going to mean he's going to get time on the power play, which he is, will be deserving of. But again, I know that the chat room is going to go wild here, which is totally fine. I, I'm, I'm here for it. In Blake Wheeler's last five games, Sean, before getting injured... One goal and ten points. So it's not like a scenario before where you're saying, "Oh, you can't, you can't put Wheeler back in the top six. He's not producing." Well, hang on a second here. Just because he has been out of action since December tenth, let's not forget the five game block leading into him getting injured. So right. the other thing that can happen now with Ehlers going out, you can conceivably, you know, I guess it could mean you could see Wheeler and Shifley immediately reunited. I think you could also see a scenario at some point down the road where Cole Perfetti and Mark Scheifele are playing together as For well, sure. right? The right right now, these guys are are clicking and meshing and doing all kinds of things very well. So uh, I see more opportunity coming for Cole Perfetti, but in a one goal game, I have no problem if if, if the Jets are protecting a one goal lead. Do you think Cole Perfetti is ready to go out against no. Nathan McKinnon's line? No. Okay, so this is what I'm saying. I mean, I'm happy to hand him a bigger role and more responsibility, but you're not just handing over the keys and saying, hey, man, uh, it's no problem if you make some mistakes. Like, the Jets are in a scenario where every single point is valuable to them. Right now, Cole Perfetti is helping the Jets accumulate points by playing to his strengths and to his identity. But there's still going to be a learning process as we move along here. Great point. Here, I just want to make a point here before I get this. Yep. BA split says Perfetti's a first-round draft pick who played well at every level. He's no Lonnie Bahanas. BA split, how did you possibly get from my comments that I'm trying to equate Lonnie Bahanas to Cole Perfetti? This is, I don't give these things out, but I have to, and I'm wearing the Do perfect it. shirt for this tonight. You need to wake up after that. I don't know where you got that from. or right? Like, open up. Open up your ears and listen to what's being said. You missed that one. You're not even in the parking lot of the ballpark that we're playing in right now. Figure it out. Um, hey, let's get there. I, I just wanted to make this comment. I've made this. This is one take that I have that I don't hear from a lot of people. I've been saying this for years. I'm so confident in my take on this. But we saw it tonight. How many times have I said, if the Jets are leading, the last thing you want to do is sit back against the Jets and let them move the puck? I was sitting watching tonight. They sent out uh, uh, Alexander Ovechkin. There was about two minutes left. That line was out. The puck went deep on the Jets. They had it. They put it in deep, and they went back, and they sat back at the red line. And I thought, well, that's the worst thing you can do if you're the Washington Capitals. Sure enough, they come down. They allow the Jets to gain entry, go into the zone, Pass the puck around, and and I get why they did it, Ken. I think they had they felt like they'd figured out the Jets' power play by the end of the game, and they were just allowing the Jets to kind of pass the puck around on the perimeter. That's something we should talk about because they did get that first goal. Sure. But after that, it seemed to get back to that. It looks great. They keep possession forever, but they never seem to get the puck to the net kind of thing. So I understood why they did it. <laughs> I also understand the idea. Uh, I also understand the idea that like this is how we, the Washington Capitals, defend leads. We're not going to change. We're going to do our thing. But boy, oh boy, if you are, to me, that's a pre-scouting failure. Like the Jets get a point out of that game because the the people whose job it is to pre-scout the Winnipeg Jets missed the fact that if you're playing the Winnipeg Jets, you're better off trying to press them in their own zone and keep Connor Hellebuck in the net than give them the entire length of the ice to load up, get down the ice, and start applying pressure. Because when they get going like that, they're as good as in the league as it gets when it comes to pushing to tie that game up. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's interesting. The Jets found a lot of easy ice through the middle through some smart plays early on. I think that there was some pushback on that front by the by the Washington Capitals. Uh, I have to, I mean, Sean, you brought up Bahanas, but uh, Craig Zamzo brought up uh, Frankie Bialoas, like two of the great Manitobans to suit up 
for the Toronto Maple Leafs and a proud Winkler Flyer, Frank Bialos and Mark Ald. There is not a chance in hell I would ever consider Frank Bialos <laughs> fighting Frank Bialos. He's the toughest, probably the toughest guy to ever play in the MJHL. Uh, I'm I was scared. I once skated with him at a summer skate with the Winkler Flyers when I was a prospect before I started playing with them. Uh, I was scared to get in his way. There's no doubt about that. I would never fight that guy. He would have. He would have dusted me. There's no doubt about it. Uh, <laughs> in terms of uh, the Jets, let's get into Shifley here. I, I let, yeah. we, we've been talking about him a lot. Uh, why don't you start and then I'll go because I, I think there's a lot of poorer takes uh, in the chat room so far. And uh, well, we'll, we'll, I'll, we'll go into that at first. I'll start with this. Gary Croft, I starred this comment. He said this way earlier on. Hopefully he's still with us, but said 55 was covering the puck carrier going around the net. He's supposed to leave him. You and I may have differing opinions on this, Ken. Yeah. I, I, so I think um, it's his job at that point when he sees the man being beat, it's his job to kind of try and seal off that post. So I do think he's going to the right place. But at the same time, it's a play that has to be made with recognition that your man is still the man behind you and that the man who got beat by Kuznetsov is trapped behind the net. So you now have to defend that in a way where you're trying to make sure that you're, you're allowing Connor Hellebuck to, to seal that post. You're going to keep that guy from skating right straight in front of the net, but you're also going to try and angle yourself in between Kuznetsov and Wilson so that a pass cannot be made. So Shifley chooses to go and try and seal off the post. I don't think it's the right plane. Did I bring up this? Yeah, I brought that up with, with Gary Croft. So he, to me, he goes a little too far sealing off the post, but the egregious sin in all of this is when the puck is moved, he just keeps skating. Like, if he, if he just stops on that post, then he's right where Wilson shoots the puck and picks up his own rebound. Like, the, 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 the most terrible part of that play is that Wilson doesn't get the puck and bury it in the back of the net. It's stopped. It's and the then second he, chance, he scores on the second effort, which is – and he scores – on the second effort in the spot where Mark Shifley had been and continues skating out of that area there. So I get it. You know what? If you're Dave Lowry, who are you putting on the ice? You're going to put players on the ice that you think can go get you the extra point. Believe me, the Winnipeg Jets aren't worried about the Washington Capitals loading up points. They don't care about what happens in the playoffs with the Washington Capitals unless they meet them in the Stanley Cup Finals. So they don't care about that. They're going out there to try and win points. That's how it goes. Uh, so you get a player out there who you think is going to be able to potentially win the game for you on offense. But clearly Mark Shifley did not. like. I, I don't think there's anyone out there who's going to defend that and say he played that the way a play should have been played. I think first off, he gets too eager going after it. But second, the egregious error there for me in all of this is that he skates through the danger zone and allows it wide open for a big body like Tom Wilson. It just, it, it wasn't the right play. Yeah, but what I would say, I mean, I would also think too, I think there's there's plenty of blame to go around and, and it's not even necessarily blame. Like Kuznetsov is an elite player. He makes yeah. an elite one-on-one -on -one move to go around. I mean, was his plan to go around the net? Probably not. But I mean, the, the Caps had some success with those wraparound kind of plays so maybe we have to credit them for the pre-scout in some ways also honestly too i think that it isn't another example we've seen this on a couple of occasions where mark shifley is in a position similar to the jake evans situation last year i think if, if he doesn't get suspended for that play he might have made a stronger play towards kuznetsov to you cut him so? off at the I, I do you do uh, i just yeah. think that there's a little bit of like Tentative is not the right word, but there even even if he does though, Ken, it's the wrong play. Like if he tries to blow well, him up not on the, the side of the not... post, he's he's leaving. He like if I'm a, if I'm that guy and I'm driving coming out from behind the net and I see a guy's trying to take my head off, I'm just throwing it softly no, into no. the slot and letting someone skate into it. I'm not saying he takes his head off. I'm saying that he can close off the passing lane by attacking him directly. But what happens on the play is you know because the rebound comes out from a sharp angle again. And then the over-pursuit means that Wilson is there all by himself. So mm -hmm. uh, I think you could probably toss it, you know, there's a portion of the blame to be distributed maybe equally by all three players. But Shifley's the last guy in the frame, so everyone's all over him. And, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. so I just think, I don't think that any one of those guys played the play particularly well. But it was also a really smart play. But, you know, even if Shifley's there, is he going to win the stick battle with Tom Wilson? 
who's at you know six four and two hundred thirty five pounds. I mean, that doesn't you know doesn't doesn't take him off the hook for over pursuit. But um, overall, I mean, this is just what we, what have we seen in overtime, Sean? This year, the Jets usually are taking the play to their opponent in overtime, right? This is one of the times where the Caps took it to them right out of the gate, and the Jets had no answer. It was in the back of the net, twenty. Uh, six seconds in, but what what I would like to counter with Shifley, even though I agree with you, I don't think he played that, you know, made the play particularly well. Shifley was one of the more dangerous players in the game tonight. Six shots on goal, nine attempts. Uh, I thought that they were really that line was doing a lot of things well. Andrew Kopp had a bunch of chances. Ehlers before he got hurt, I think there were some times where, uh, to me, I don't know what you thought, Sean, and I'm going to ask you flat out. I thought that Ehlers played well. He did a nice job of drawing penalties. But to me, it looked like a guy who was still dealing with the effects of fatigue from COVID. I don't think that Ehlers had the same explosiveness in the game before he got hurt. I think that I saw a lot of effort and I saw a lot of nice plays, but I didn't see the 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 you know the takeaway speed blowing by their opponent that I'm used to seeing from Ehlers, and I suspect it has something to do with COVID. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know that... Uh... I don't know. I, I think to me what the problem with that line is they look disconnected right now. That what we saw from Stastny uh, and that line, I thought was like Stastny, whatever he does with that line, I think he makes them cohesive and he brings them together. He's kind of like the bridge between Shifley and Ehlers. Um, what, what I see when I look at, at that line now with Andrew Kopp, and believe me, it's, da- it's dangerous either way because when you've got Mark Shifley, if Mark Shifley can work with Ehlers, they're going to be dangerous. And we've seen that when Mark Shifley works with Andrew Kopp, that it's dangerous. And we saw, you know, how dangerous Andrew Kopp was in the last game uh, against against uh, the Detroit Red Wings. So there's something there. But I, I do I do feel like like when, when it's not working for Nick Ehlers, he's fast, but he's on a bit of an island. His speed takes him away from his line rather than working with his line. And and, Sh- and Shifley can keep up to him, though. I mean, Shifley's a powerful. I'm speaker. not saying he can't. I'm not saying he can't keep up with them. I'm saying that it's that whole idea with with uh, Nick Ehlers that that when you've got speed, a lot of times, and it happens a lot in junior hockey, when you've got speed, a lot of times you chase open ice, right? Because if you get it to open ice, you get free and you can make your next move and you can decide to cut and dash somewhere. But the problem at the NHL level is open ice and the ice that really good defenders give you is is not a dangerous place, right? And so when we get back to the idea that Paul Maurice talked about uh, a lot last year and Nick Ehlers talked about last year is he was starting to use his speed not to get to, you know, away from the play, but to get into the play. To me, I'll agree with you on, on on this part. Like it seemed like he was he was taking himself away from the play, not moving in with the rest of, of his line mates. And so I don't know if that has something to do with that line, those three players needing to get a little bit of chemistry going and a little bit of consistency. Or to your point, if it's a COVID thing and he's just trying to figure his way back in here. But the one thing I will say is that line definitely clearly was the second best line uh for the for the Winnipeg Jets tonight they didn't come anywhere close to touching Kyle Connor and Pierre-Luc Dubois um and Cole Perfetti yeah I mean it's interesting I don't there was a stretch where the the Dubois line I thought got a little bit quiet in the middle of the game but uh overall I thought both those lines were were pretty solid overall for sure um but I mean if Ehlers is not with Shifley and if Perfetti's with Dubois, well, then where is Ehlers? Would be my counter yeah. to you, right? I mean, I'm not saying to move him around. I'm just saying I, I that that's okay. my that's my thoughts on on why I didn't see it working tonight. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and I mean too the other thing too. I mean where so is Andrew Kopp? I, I think that what, what people are missing on that line, it, Andrew Kopp is the security. We're, we're talking about defensive miscues. Like Andrew Kopp is the security blanket. So. Yeah, I mean, are the Jets better off having Andrew Kopp as a security blanket on that first or second line? Or do they go back to where it looked when Dave Lowry took over, where it's Kopp and Lowry together on the checking line? Because as you mentioned, the checking line wasn't quite as noticeable for the Jets tonight either, with the exception of one or two shifts when Jansen Harkins and uh, Austin Pagansky got the puck to the net. So uh, I think there's some big, big questions ahead for Dave Lowry where it comes to how he how he plays his lines and how do you get how do you find the best balance and I'm fascinated uh, to see where they're going to go aren't right, you is Svechnikov I mean, on the fourth line or is he on the third line or is he on the second line I mean he has the ability to move up and down the lineup but where is he going to be and I mean 
Uh, this is another great scenario. So, like, when Shifley and Wheeler came back, uh, when Shifley and Wheeler came back into the lineup, they put him with Adam Lowry. I mean, could that happen again? I mean, I wouldn't be shocked to see it, would you? Well, I, Sorry, but I, I, I mean, be it, would be Stastny, Stastny, it would be Stastny and Wheeler in this case. I mean, I, 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 I would be shocked because it seemed to work so terribly. Do you know what I mean? Like, the first time around, and, and I don't know... I, I would that line was think, pretty good. Those three guys together. But the 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 no no. I mean, like if we're going back to when they put uh, Wheeler with Shifley and Lowry, are you yeah, saying those guys were really good? They were. Their their analytics were excellent. They had the puck okay. all the time. But I mean, I I don't think that the oh, it didn't well, lead to a lot of production. But I mean, they didn't have to defend. They didn't give up any goals, and they did. They certainly spent the majority of time in the offensive zone. I just don't. I don't think sorry, I don't mean putting them together. Million dollars no, no, sorry, between two of them to not score any goals. Sorry, fair. What I'm saying is they created plenty of offense in a small sample. So what I, I'm just saying that you have Wheeler and Stastny coming off, you know, COVID and injury. I mean, I guess now it gets complicated because Ehlers is out, and you need a guy to jump in the top six. But um, I, I think one of them's got to play alongside Adam Lowry on that third line. I'll be honest, the way I've been thinking about it, you know, and especially when you've got, you know, Cole, you know, Cole Perfetti in the mix now and you're talking about a guy like Evgeny Svechnikov, I think there's enough that you can you can push Adam Lowry if you want to down to the fourth line. And if you wanted to try and create, you know, that battering ram style of play that it seems like they've wanted to get back to at times, that you could make three scoring lines and then, you know, choose to throw your 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 hammer out against you know the lines that you want to throughout the game it seems to open things wide up for that i mean could we make like a a svechnikov wheeler stastny line stastny's a you know whenever he gets put in at center he does well right so if stastny ends up being the third line and the top lines kind of stay as they are when people come back together with svechnikov kind of you know feeding in there 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 is enough guys to make three scoring lines to be honest that's where my mind is going and i i just think ken you know I know what you're saying about the analytics and, and, and I know that, that that argument was there and it was just a matter of time before those guys get scoring. You know who I think got impatient with not scoring on that line? Never mind the analytics. I think it was Wheeler and Shifley themselves that got a little bit frustrated and clearly their old coach did because the, he split those two players up and then put each of them on a different one of the first and second lines and tore up some lines that were working in order to try and do that. So I I don't I know what you're saying and I know the analytics may have said that, but I don't think the coach at the time, and maybe that doesn't matter, but I don't think Paul Maurice at the time was happy with how that line was going. And I don't think Shifley or Wheeler were happy with how that line was going. So that's what I think is kind of the thing about that, that I don't see Wheeler coming back and being like, great, throw me alongside Adam Lowry. Let's pick up where we left off analytically. I I just don't see him being interested in that. I see him wanting to return with players that he feels like he works with, which means he's probably going to want to be on a line with either Kyle Connor or Mark Shifley, or potentially even both of them. If, if, we're getting back to that old kind of idea. Like I, I do think we've heard enough from Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley and maybe even Kyle Connor that when they put them together, boy, those guys sure love playing with each other. And they've said in the past, they're their favorite guys to play with. You know, when Patrick Laine got put up on that line and it was Kyle Connor, Mark Shifley and, and, uh, and Patrick Laine, and they had great numbers as soon as Blake Wheeler, uh, sorry, as soon as uh, Blake Wheeler had moved down to the second line center, as soon as he was released from those duties, he went straight back to that line. And, and Mark Shifley said, these are my favorite guys to play with. Right. So we know that. So, yeah, I don't know. I just I, I don't. It's a long way of me saying I don't see that happening. Uh, it could. It, it, it sorry, very I just meant in the, in the short term. Yeah. And I didn't mean sorry. I didn't mean to say Shifley. I was, I was just using it as a parallel just with with Stastny and Wheeler both coming back. I could see them getting eased into it with with Lowry but I mean that's probably not happening now because Ehlers is out you know multiple games and for those who missed it uh Dave Lowry mentioned what was your take on the hit I mean it looked like it was uh, we understand that in in slow motion it looks terrible I mean I thought in real time it was a penalty uh Lowry seemed to suggest he thought it was uh you know he could have been a five minute major I mean there was no penalty called whatsoever and now obviously Ehlers uh, if Ehlers is out for any length of time I mean if it's 
multiple weeks. I mean, that's a big blow for the Jets, you know, no matter what we're talking about in terms of guys being able to come back, uh, whether it's this week or next week. So uh, I, I, when I was watching the play in real time, I missed it. I saw him down. I didn't see the knee. And I remembered thinking, well, that if it's a knee, it's a subtle knee. And then you see right. the slow motion. It wasn't subtle. It wasn't subtle at all. But what was subtle about it is Orlov enti- Orlov knees him. And usually you know what it's like, Ken. When, when you play a game, when you knee a guy or someone knees a guy, that guilt posture takes over. It's just your brain. It's, it's like, it's like yeah. a knee-jerk reaction. He didn't have that. He carried through that and turned around and never looked at the ref to see if anyone was watching. Orlov handled that like a veteran who was like, what, me? I never did anything, right? So uh, I actually really like the way Dave Lowry handled that, and here's why. He said, one, you know, I had the benefit of instant replay, so he excused the refs from missing that. But what he did say by hammering home that point of, I had the benefit of seeing it on instant replay. Well, yeah. you know who's going to have the benefit of watching that on instant replay is the player safety department. And that's right. the message I think he was trying to get out. Yeah, this cost them tonight, but he's sending it out there that what we saw on instant replay is not okay. And so the guys whose job it is to look at this need to look at this. You've got everything you need there to make a decision. I think that's his way of putting pressure on the league, trying to make sure that Dmitry Orlov gets a suspension out of this. Well, and the Jets also have experience with a kneeing suspension to Neil Pionk for that play on Rasmus Sandin, right? So uh, I think that there's probably some thought thinking, well, if that was two games for Neil Pionk on Rasmus Sandin, then Orlov probably deserves... Um, to be spending a little bit of time uh, um, on the sidelines for sure. So, But I, I agree with you. And I think the other thing, uh, you're right. I mean, Orloff doesn't throw his hands or, near, knee, or knees kind of in the air. He drove right through them, right? Which, which kind of almost makes it a dirtier play in some ways, don't you think? Oh yeah, no, it, it's a dirty play. Everything about that play is dirty. There's there was a, there was his Orlov's reaction to it, the subtlety of it. Even when you saw him on the bench, right? Like yeah. when you said when the they kept training the camera on him while while the the refs were meeting and talking about it, he just looked like he didn't have a care in the world, right? He didn't look like that guy, you know. You know the the Sylvester and the and the Tweety cartoons with the feathers coming out of his mouth. He didn't look guilty at all. He looked like he was just like, when are they going to drop the puck? When are we moving on to the next play? I thought it was pretty. Uh, I thought it was pretty subtle. Hey Ken, it was asked for, and I love listening to this music. We're going to run <laughs> out of time. Here. Let's go. Well, let's, let's get let's the go. Sean's headband on and make this a late breaking uh, Kenny and Red. <laughs> Never too late with Sean's Never headband. Speaking of this, Ken, the people bringing this up, Liquor Beaver says Jets have no one who intimidates the other team from taking liberties with their top talent. Did you think? Did you feel like you needed to see a response from the Jets after that play? No, they're chasing the game by a goal. I mean, they're. I mean, there you go. I just don't think that that's a, a situation where you can. That's a take a number situation. I mean, people know who Dmitry Orlov is, right? So, I mean, yeah. I just don't think that. And again, what are you going to do about it? Like Orlov's not going to fight. He's not a fighter either. So, I mean. Uh, like I understand the mentality and of course the Jets don't want people taking liberties. I just think that that was a, I don't, it, it, taking liberties, I, I would even argue it's not even really taking liberties because it's not a situation where a player went out and said, I'm going to hurt that player. Or I'm going to go intimidate mm-hmm. that player. Uh, it's just something that happened and it happens fast in real time. I don't think that Orloff necessarily meant to do it, but he had already committed to the hit and then he quite clearly drove through the knee. So it's a dirty play. Uh, it was missed, and we'll see if there it leads to a suspension. I would, I personally think that if Neil Pionk's play on Sandin is a suspension, I think this has got to be at least a game for Orloff and potentially oh, two. 
I'd be blown away if it wasn't a suspension. And I think two games as well. I think it starts at two games. Ken, um, let's get into this because people want to talk about it. It's basically the news of the hockey world. Uh, Hot Lunch is asking us to take on the the pissy incident here. Um, Let me start off by saying, uh, like, you know, put the cards on the table. Jimmy Matheson, uh, Maddie, as you and I know him is a good friend of the both of ours you've worked with him a lot longer um but i've uh i've got all the respect in the world for for maddie Same here. Uh, yes. and so so we come from a place and just want to get that out there right off the bat everything that we talk about here is going to be colored by the fact uh that that we know this guy i called and he's a Winnipegger. he's a Winnipegger. Yeah. he's a, he's a Winnipeg. Winnipeg he's cactus cactus jack matheson's son and uh, he, he's also a guy who spent the 80s in the jet or sorry, in the Oilers dynasty dressing room. Like if you want it, hey, if Maddie's in a room and Mark Messier or Paul Coffey or Wayne Gretzky comes walking into that room, they'll give a head nod and say, hey, Maddie, how's it going? I mean, this is a guy who's got a, a ton of respect from a 40 year career and he's well, earned it. Um, and we saw so, it at the Heritage Classic in Winnipeg when those Oilers stars were in town. Yes, exactly. Um, so just a quick, just a quick uh, thing, because uh, uh, some people have missed this. John Chan says he missed this. So Leon Dreisaitl was asked um, a question. Just basically, he was asked to name one thing about you know what, that that the Oilers, if they could, if they had to name one thing they need to do more of or or change to kind of turn around that awful putrid streak that they're on right now. What would it be? And he kind of gave a generic everything answer. So I, I'm, I'm going to give my take on the whole thing. You know, it's your job as a journalist to get an answer, right? And and if a journalist is doing his job properly, he's representing his customers. Your customers in this case are, you know, the consumers of your product. Like you, you all are here listening to us right now. That's the fans. In sports media, it's the fans. So I need to be going out and asking fans that I, or excuse me, asking questions that I think the fans want answers to, right? And I'm not doing the fans, the consumers of my work, any any favors if 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 i ask a question and they don't answer it and i just walk away from it right so what maddie i take away from that is doing in that situation is is that he's pressing and trying to get more he's trying to get an answer to light something up so that he can educate the audience or have leon dreisaitl educate the audience leon dreisaitl clearly didn't want to ask the question maddie pushed Leon's response to Maddie pushing was to make some kind of comment. Can help me on this, but he basically you know the along the lines of, "You know the you have all the answers, right?" So yep. he calls him a know-it-all. So this is the one thing about this that I've seen a lot of discussion happening online about this, and a lot of people calling out Maddie and saying that Maddie did something out of nowhere. Leon Dreisaitl fires the first arrow in this battle here. Leon Dreisaitl takes a shot, and and so this is my take on it. There's a lot of people out there, a lot of hockey fans will look at this and say it's disrespectful for him to go uh, to go after him or anything like that. And, and I just say this, my take on that is if you're a fan, you are connected to your players, right? So if I'm a Winnipeg Jets, let's let's say I, I have a conversation with Pierre-Luc Dubois and we yep. get into it a little bit. I'm going to tell you right now, for the most part, you as a Jets fan are going to look at me and you're going to think I'm an a-hole, right? Because you adore Pierre-Luc Dubois, because Pierre-Luc Dubois brings you happiness. Pierre-Luc Dubois does stuff. You watch him. So you you just right off the bat are going to be conditioned to, you know, more often than not take Pierre-Luc Dubois' side than you are to take mine. That's the life of a journalist. We get it. I'm okay with it. That's how it goes. Those guys do something that's special. They get paid a lot of money for it, and they earn that, okay? So I'm okay with that. But you're also taking a look at a situation here where Maddie is a guy who's been doing this for four years. He's had a ton of relationships. Maddie's a man. These are two men who are getting into a conflict, and Leon Dreisaitl fires the first so, you know, let's go with the first arrow. So Maddie say, saying the pissy thing, would I have used that terminology? I wouldn't have used that terminology, but Maddie did. And I'm not going to question he's he's in that relationship. But you are seeing two grown men going at each other. And that's what happened in that situation. So I, I take a look at that and I think this is Maddie pushing, trying to represent his readers, trying to get answers. It's a player who didn't want to give those answers and, and and takes a shot 
rather than just saying resting on i'm not going to answer the question he says i'm not going to uh answer the question and by the way here's a shot your way and this is a grown man who's been doing this for a long time with a lot of legendary hall of fame players who's pushing back okay again i wouldn't have used that terminology but that's Maddie. That's his thing. I think he's okay with having used that ter- terminology and lived with it. I see this as two guys, two grown men going at it. We'll see how they work it out. But I don't have a crazy amount of beef with this. This is an interaction, again, between two grown men in the workplace. These things happen, Ken. Uh, and I think they happen a little bit more often because of the, you know, the, the this whole it, you know, internet uh, Zoom kind of thing is you know this could have been two guys getting at it in a locker with no uh, with no cameras around, which is probably how the majority of the, these things happen, Ken, in the normal world. But you're not going to interact with a player now without a camera being there, and so it just got it, it got caught on camera. I think these things probably happen more often than people think. It just gets out in the open because of the way things are going. What's your take? Yeah, and in terms of some context here. Um... I know a lot of people who cover the Oilers, and the one thing we know about Leon Dreisaitl is that he's not an overly engaging individual. He's an incredibly talented hockey player. Uh, When it comes to dealing with the media, he doesn't enjoy it. It's not his thing. So some people would say, well, if it's not his thing, then no big deal. But what I would say is that there's a little bit of a confrontational attitude with Drysdale and some other player, other media mm-hmm. members in the past, so I think I think the people who are just seeing this as a snippet and a one-off, I think they're missing the context. I don't think that Jim Matheson is overreacting if this happens one single time in a history. Exactly, uh, Leon's been there for eight years, so this isn't new behavior. And to be quite frank, if you're an alternate captain like Leon Drysdale is. Part of your job is to have answers for a question like the first one that was given. So, um, I mean, again, I'm not a confrontational person by nature. Uh, I have no problem whatsoever with Jim standing up for himself. I think that in a lot of t- a lot of times, players just expect the media to back off or you know yep. kind of defer to them. Uh, and Jim was like, "No, I, I don't have to put up with your BS, so I'm not going to." Uh, I think that you know initially it probably started as. You know, I think he, he wanted a better answer. And when he found out he wasn't going to get one, then um, then too. I mean, I think that he, well, how I would also describe it is he asked a question that probably a lot of people in that market have been wondering on a lot of other occasions. And he had the stones to say it out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the other part of that too, I, I you know, could both people have handled it better? Sure. But to me, the fact that I don't think the question was poor at all. Uh, the thing here is is very simple. I mean, I get it that the Oilers are frustrated. They should be frustrated. But it's not the media's fault that the Oilers have put together one of the worst stretches in the NHL. It's not the media's fault. The players are the ones out on the ice. And hey, Leon Dreisettle is doing his part. He's a great offensive talent. Uh, He's put up a lot of points. He does a lot of great things. But part of leadership is taking your team through turbulent times. I mean, if you don't want to go into an expansive answer, no problem. But it's fine if you don't want to bury your teammates. No one's asking you in the media to do that. Jim Matheson was not saying rip the goalies by saying by asking the question that he asked. So to me, I just think it should have been handled better. I mean, and again, if you don't want to blame your teammates, what do a lot of leaders do? They put the blame on themselves. So, right. Right. So again, I'm not saying that uh, Leon Dreisaitl should stand on his sword, but he could have given a better answer. Uh, and I think that then there's no confrontation whatsoever. And um, like I said, I got, I, I'm with you. I have no problem with Jim standing up for himself. And I also, no. you know, in, in some ways, you know, if, if Leon wants to stand his ground, that, that's his right. But it's him that looks, I do too. I mean, he, yeah. to me, he looks bad in that scenario. So, but I also... Listen, uh, go f- finish your point because I want to, no, I want to say something close. No, and I also, li- and I also like that, you know, when they were trying to move on, I like that Jim asked another question. I'm not done with you yet. I have another question for you. Yeah. And then he kind of gave another smart ass answer. Uh, yeah. And see, so for me, this is the thing is like, I, I don't overly mind that, that, uh, Leon Dreisaitl responded the way he did. Like w- with me and this, it, these are interactions. Hang on, one second, one second. 
when's the last time you saw Sidney Crosby act that way towards a reporter? Well, for sure. And and I've said this before. I've, I've said this before. There's certain guys in the game who conduct themselves in that manner. And, and I'll tell you this. I'll, I, I talked to Maddie about this, and he brought up the names of all those Oilers legends and said, I've never had any of the Like, here's guys who exactly. are some of the best hockey players who ever played the game, and we never ran into that. Now, some of that is going to be a new generation of players. Some of that is going to be, you know, media is clearly, you know, the, what we've seen since the 80s is hockey players have gone and started making money up out of the stratosphere. And the journalism game is actually going in the other direction, right? So the power imbalance is just sure. absolutely massive, right? So we get that. But but I, I don't, I've said this before, like if players get pissed off and they respond in a certain way, and I've, I've been in situations, Ken, I'm sure you have before. <laughs> You've seen me in situations before where guys get pissed off at me. If, if a guy gets pissed off at me, then, you know, that's how it goes. My job is to go get answers. And sometimes in the push for getting that answers, people aren't going to be happy. And that's how it goes. And I understand that. I get it. So I, I really don't have an overly huge problem with the way Dreisaitl handles himself. I just think in, in this situation, Dreisaitl fired the first arrow and Maddie went back at him. So people saying that like Maddie went out to try and antagonize this guy. No. These are two grown men who have a job to do and are digging in and doing their jobs. I have no problem with it. And I did want to make the point that you were talking about. You don't have a problem with the question because there's people in here who are disagreeing with the both of us and saying that, you know, it's a bad question. This is, this is a guy who's sick of not getting answers or someone ducking a question. And he's saying, name one thing. Like you're losing. You've lost how many games out of your last 14 games? Name one thing you can do better. To me, this is a guy who's exasperated with someone not answering questions and saying, answer a question. Let me make it as easy on you as possible. Name one thing that you guys could do better to get out of this. You wear an A. You have a heart trophy sitting in your trophy case at home. You should probably be able to come up with one idea of something that this team could do better to turn this around. So yeah, what? So to me, I, I get why people think that it's a bad or a lazy question. I don't think it is. I think it's a question where he's saying, I'm going to make this easy for you. I'm going to put the ball up on the tee. Just swing yeah. the bat. Come out and swing the bat. That's all he's asking. So anyways, we've spent a lot of time on this. Uh, and I know that there's, I know that every time we don't talk Jets, there's some people in here that just start pulling their hair out because on both, you know, TSN and on Sportsnet, there's plenty of talk about other teams and people come here to talk Jets. So we should close this out. I'm going to ask you this. Um, we've talked a little bit about the line, but, you know, and we've talked in the past about Kyle Connor not getting his due. How clearly is Kyle Connor the best player on the Winnipeg Jets right now? Let me ask it like that. Yeah, I mean, it, Kyle had a great start to the game, no doubt about that. Uh, I mean, he's involved. Was, I mean, again, people think that this is just some prayer play, like uh, Stanley banking it off the boards. He sees there's an ability to exit, and Kyle Connor makes a really smart play where a player closes on him, and he gets the puck to Dubois in order to create the two-on-one rush. And there too, on the power play goal, is there an element of luck involved when the puck bounces off the end boards? Yes, but you have to be able and willing to get to the puck. And you know where what people, I encourage people to go back and look at the replay. Look where Kyle Connor puts this puck, right? Look where he at, look where he buries it bar down basically. I mean, um, to me, just exceptional job. I would also say too, I think this is one of the, you know, another great game for Pierre-Luc Dubois. Dubois yeah. had been a little bit quiet lately, only a goal in his last six games, one goal, one point. Uh, but he ele he was back in that kind of under your skin kind of mentality, kind of using his physical strengths uh, and getting very involved. And I mean, again, too, like we've seen this with throughout the course of the year. Like we saw it when when Paul Stastny said, "I want Nikolai, I want to, I want Nikolai Ehlers to score the goal, and I get my 500th assist on." You saw Pierre Luc Dubois today say, "You know what? I told Cole that I owed him one." Remember, like he thought, you know, Pierre Luc Dubois felt badly that he couldn't convert the smart play that Dubois made on Thursday against the Detroit Red Wings. So what does he do? He goes out and gets him, makes, puts it on a tee for him to bury his first NHL goal. I mean, uh, I think there's a, there's a, like that genuine caring 
uh, about your teammates. I think that's been very much on display here. Uh, and two, uh, both those guys have been playing great. I mean, I think that, you know, obviously Connor is getting his due as an all-star. I think that uh, Dubois has had a really strong start to his season uh, as well. And those two guys together have, have forged an incredible uh, bond in terms of their on-ice performance. And that whole, you know, that whole deal of the speed element and the, you know, uh, you know the power and the speed element, but Dubois can also get around too and skate, and he gets to the net and he can shoot. So, uh, to me, I like the way that those two guys are playing together. And yeah, I mean Kyle Connor is driving a lot of play. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, all right, we're going to close this out, uh, and I'm going to close out with a little bit of a teaser. One, let's start off with uh, the next time you see us will be for our long form show on Thursday. We're going to have Tara Sloan on. Uh, Tara is a uh, really, really interesting case because the first time I ever heard of her was back uh, in the 90s. On the, I was a big Canadian uh, music scene guy. There's, you know, Alan Cross, who's another Winnipegger, uh, who does what's it called, the ongoing history of new music. He has a podcast. He did a really, really, really good podcast on the 90s Canadian scene that kind of blew up with bands like Moist and Tea Party and Conline Crush and all bands like that. Um, and she was with Joy, uh, Joy Drop back in those days. Um, and that's the first I remember hearing of her uh, and then has popped up in some movies and now clearly is, you know, works long Ron, alongside Ron uh, with our hometown hockey and is definitely someone who who is not afraid to go to battle with people on the internet. She seems to be in the middle of it all the time. She's going to be an interesting person to talk to. So we want to get into that before we get into the next game, which is going to be the Nashville Predators and the Winnipeg Jets. Really interesting stretch. You've touched on it here, Ken. A really interesting stretch the next little while here for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, and then the last thing I just want to say, Ken and I had a meeting uh, with uh, the people in Toronto um, and Jade Buckley, uh, who is, uh, I mean, no one's going to know who Jade is, but we do. And we know that man, oh man, is she ever phenomenal and is all over this is super keen and presented us a whole bunch of different merch op options that we're going to be unveiling and rolling out over the next month, less than a month for a lot of this stuff in the coming weeks. Um, I know people had asked earlier about uh, when the shirts are coming. I don't have an answer to that question, um, but I They're do. Out. They've been sent. They've been sent. They've been we, sent. We know yeah. It's just we think it's more of the delivery issue right now. I think exactly. Uh, so the shirts are coming, and and I know that um, we talked about. So let's just say this right off the bat. The, the launch and the, the amount of people who jumped on the Kenny and Rennie shirts that we had out there allowed us to bring the price of the t-shirts down, but not for the ones that have been uh, sold already. But the ones that have been sold, everyone is going to get a discount for further merch uh, that is coming out. And we're going to try and make sure that we get you stuff that's worth you investing in. So once again, thank you so much for everyone who helped us launch. It was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, go to Sportsnet shop uh, if you are still interested in that. Uh, but if you're getting those shirts and if you've purchased make sure you wait for your discount before you buy more because you're going to be able to get it for cheaper uh and uh that's about it uh, i want to close this show out here thank you so much it was a heated chat room especially when we started talking about the maddie stuff we respect everybody's opinions out there and we respect your time and you uh putting up with us here thank you so much for that uh we're looking forward to seeing you next time we will see you hopefully as many of you as possible on thursday at three o'clock as we do our long form Kenny and Rennie with Tara Sloan. Thanks for joining us, everyone.